0: But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, uh, John chapter uh, 13, please. John chapter 13. And I want to preach on, uh, uh, continue this series of, le- of messages on God's perspective, or your life evaluated in God's perspective. And the first week was love. God evaluates your, your life by Love. And then the second week was uh, communion, the way you worship and who you worship. God evaluates your life, and you measure by your communion. Then intercession was the third week, and the night is a very, very difficult subject for a lot of us, and it's really worked me over its own humility. Some of you are so, so humble, you're proud of it. Amen? You'll get that later. And uh, humility is is needed in all our lives. And I want to give you some traits of humility. I'm going to give you two examples of humility. Jesus and John the Baptist. Jesus and John the Baptist. And I hope you'll get something out of this. But this message has really helped me, uh, the studying of it, hours of studying it. And um, I just appreciate so much what God's done in my own life. And I'm so glad I can preach it on my birthday because I really believe that uh, this is exactly the message I need. And I want you to pray in the morning, especially because my dear friend with Austin Garner has been under sedation and in a coma induced for 21 days, 21 days uh, on a vent. And uh, this is not just taking place in America. Uh, It's all over the place. Brazil has so many graves uh, dug waiting for those to die uh, that they can't find the land to dig the graves. And so this this stuff is pandemic, And my question is, why did God allow it? Why did God allow it? And I've got the answer tonight. I believe that He wants to humble us. I believe He wants us to bow before Him. And I believe that all America, what is going through all this violence and black lives matter, I'm going to tell you something, all lives matter to God because He died for them. Jesus died for all sinners. Amen? And I'm so excited. For some reason, we have got at least a thousand, I mean, not. I'm not exactly, a thousand Romans and Johns in, and they just keep sending them. I didn't even order them. It's got our logo on it, and got our address. I can't wait to get them in the prisons. And I mean, it's a beautiful little Bible with our logo on the back and front, but I don't want them to notice that. I want them to notice what's inside of it. And so sometimes we can get proud of the good material that Uh, We put out, and we can get proud about the years that one pastor spent in one place. And and pride is so subtle. And I'm going to give you some some evidences that uh, when pride creeps in our life, and it's worked me over. And I'm so happy that I can preach tonight. And uh, I told Miss Betty, I said, Miss Betty, I never dreamed that this would happen to your husband. He said, she said, I didn't either. She said, but I'm feeling so much better. And says, you pray for me, brother Wayne because I want to get better and better and better, and I want to get stronger and, stronger and stronger, so when he comes home, I can take care of him. And that was a blessing. That was a blessing right there. She just wants to get better so she can take care of her husband. And that's a humble wife. That's a humble servant. And I appreciate the years that we've been close to that family. But I want you to notice in uh, this this passage of Scripture, in John chapter 13, uh, and I just want just to just read a couple of verses, and then we'll get back to it. But in verse 1, it says, Now therefore the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved, loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And then, at supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He was come from God and went to God, He rises from supper, laid aside His garment, and took a towel and girded Himself. And after that, He poured the water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel therewith He was girded. And then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, does thou, wa- thou, thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Said, so just, just give me a whole shower, and Jesus said to him, He that washed washes needed not to save to wash his feet, but is clean everwith that ye are clean not at all. He says you're saved; you don't need to go through that again. He said, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, You're not all clean. And so after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. You call me Master and Lord. You say, well, for so I am. Then I said, your Lord and Master have washed your feet. Think about that. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord, Neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And so we see in these 17 verses of scripture that Jesus has set an example. One time when I first started this church, a fellow named Wiley, uh, he said, hey, listen, you're not scriptural. And I said, why is that? He said, because you don't wash feet. And I'm going to buy the tubs and I'm going I'm to provide the water. That was nice of him to provide the water. And you're going to have foot wash. I said, no, I'm not. I said, because there's two ordinances in the church that's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the Bible says we ought to do as He was set an example. In the Bible days, it was, a, it was like greeting. A, a servant, a slave, would take every guest and, and anoint the feet and wipe the feet because it was dusty and they all wore sandals. And friend, we see that uh, uh, it was a custom of uh, humility. Jesus became a slave for you. He became a servant for you. And folks, that servant spirit is not just washing feet. It's The servant spirit is have a humble spirit. And it's not about you, and it's not about me, and it's not about any person in this world. Everything's about Jesus. And, and folks, he set the example that if we're going to magnify him, if we're going to be like him, we're never more like him than we are when we're a servant and when we're humble. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And folks, he, he, he cannot, uh not uh, robbery to become of no reputation and humble himself and become a man. God became man. That's humility. And I want to just preach a few minutes on what it means to be humble, how we can be more humble, and how there's evidence that, of humility in our life and also evidence of subtle pride. I want to tell you, the initial sin of all humanity was pride in the garden. Adam and Eve was full of pride, and they wanted to become their own gods, and that's why they fell. The reason the devil got kicked out of heaven is because of pride. I will, I will, I will. And so it's an initial sin, and it's the root of all sin, pride is. And folks, it's subtle, it's wicked, it's divisive, it hurts people when we get so prideful that we think it's about us. And not about somebody else. We ought to be servants. We ought to be servants. But, you know, I want you to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I, I want you to see this, Brother Cody, that uh, first of all, that the, we're, we should be poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. What does poor in spirit mean real quick? It means that we're not uh, uh, poor spirited. It doesn't mean that we're uh, poor self-esteem. Some people want to get down on themselves. And it doesn't mean that we poor-mouth ourselves. A lot of people just complain about everything and even complain about themselves. Critical people are insecure people, by the way. They're always trying to get company down in their ditch. And folks, listen, we ought to be praising and praying for even those that hurt us and disagree with us. But look at Matthew chapter 5. You know what it's about, the Beatitudes, amen? The Beatitudes. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, in verse... uh, Um, One, or three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Before all the Beatitudes, and these are the blessings, uh, uh, folks, the number one, the number one Beatitude is poor in spirit. And folks, that phrase means humble. And folks, and without humbleness, none of the other Beatitudes will be in your attitude. And none of the blessings will be in your attitude. You'll not have a a mourning spirit because you're too proud to mourn. Uh, They shall be covered. You'll not be meek. And meek means not weak, but it means not thanking yourself. Inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. They shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. All these blessings, the first blessing is poor in spirit. That we need to be poor in spirit. We need to be humble enough to realize that we need blessings. And it goes on to say, uh, "Bless other peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God." There ought to be one trait about our Christian life is that we're peacemakers. We're not trying to find somebody to disagree with. We're just trying to be peacemakers, and uh, that's good for a pastor. I wish you could pastor about three weeks and see what it's like. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's. There's a lot of Things go on behind the scene that breaks a pastor's heart and keeps him awake half the night wondering about it. But look at this. Verse 12 says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so, and it says, For so persecute they the prophets which were before you. And so, folks, listen. The Bible says in verse 11, uh, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say many evil things against you falsely for my sake. Now, folks, all that is preceded with one trait, one beatitude, that you ought to pray to God that you have, and that's poor in spirit. Humility. Humility. And so I want to just go real quick and say the greatest example back in John chapter 13 of humility is the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the work of a humble servant in verses 1 through 5. Uh, He loved them, verse 1. Uh, In John chapter 13 now, his life was a life that... uh, uh, was just ministering. And he came to seek and to save those who are lost. He, uh, he that knew no sin, became sin for you. That uh, through his uh, 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 righteousness, or through his through his uh, giving his life through a ransom, uh, through him giving his life, you can have the righteousness of God on your life. And so, folks, he became sin for you who knew no sin. And folks, you can be righteous. Imputed. So don't get self-righteous and think you did something to get saved and you did something to be spiritual, folks. It's all the love of God. It's the life of God and it's the labor of God. In verse four and five, He takes off His clothes and puts on a a a raiment of a slave and begins to wash their feet. How humbling that must have been. And one of the reasons is is because uh, uh, this this this, this these disciples were arguing who were the greatest. And what what place in the kingdom they would have. And so the word of God, uh the work of the humble servant is there. He loved his life, his labor. But then the word of the humble servant. Look at verse 6 through 9, it says, And then cometh Simon Peter, and Jesus answered and said to him, What I, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He says, You're gonna find out. You're gonna find out when when uh uh you deny me and 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 when you uh uh, warmed by the fires of the enemy, and you swell up in pride, and try to try to be a disciple in your own strength. You'll find out. And Peter said to him, "Thou shalt never wash my feet." And he said, "Well, you'll have no part in me." And so there's a word from the humble servant, and then there's the wisdom in verse twelve through seventeen. It didn't say that we wash feet. It says we ought to do like God. We ought to do like Jesus. We ought to be like Jesus, and that means humble enough to become a servant, a humble enough to become a servant. Thank God for that. And I'll tell you what, friend, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to humble ourselves, humble ourselves. Uh, with all our heart, we ought to humble ourselves. And I want you to see this. I want you to see that, uh, that, uh, that the John the Baptist is a great example of humility, and it's just amazing. First of all, we see that John the Baptist um, was called the greatest. Now here's a evaluation for you. He became the greatest man born of woman. Uh, what is that verse? John chapter 10 verse 41. Would you read it with me? He's called the greatest man that's born of woman. By whom? By Jesus. And folks, listen, we see it very clearly is that uh, in John chapter 10 verse 41. The Bible says, and many resorted to him and said, John did no miracles, but all things that John spake of, this man was true. First of all, John never performed a miracle. There was no miracles in his life. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus said, He's the greatest man born of woman. Look at it sometime. Or go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. And you'll see it very clearly is that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us, wants us to, to uh, see that that uh, John the Baptist performed no miracle, but then he said, here's my evaluation. Evaluation in God's perspective is this. What does God count as greatness? Everybody uses the word great. He was a great ball player. He's a great Actor. He's a great preacher. He's a great this, great that. But he's a great Christian. I've heard that phrase a lot. But what is a great Christian? Well, the Bible says in verse 11 of Matthew 11 Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding that it is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All of us can be great in God's eyes if we'll do what John the Baptist did. Oh, he's got to be a miracle worker. You've got to do great feats for God. He never worked a miracle. Never. He never did. What did he do? I'll tell you what he did. He had this testimony. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and look at verse 15. John chapter 1, verse 15. We're studying humility. I'll get to four practical points in just a moment. But I want you to see this great example. Jesus is the greatest example. Then John the Baptist is a great example. John chapter one, and I want you to look at verse 15, please. The Bible says this, John, bear witness of him and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. Starts preaching grace. And By the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is, is the bosom of the Father, hath desired, declared Him. And this is the record: John, when the Jews was, and the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed, and he denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Do you see the humility? He said, I'm not Jesus. I'm not worthy to be followed. Look at this now. He said, and they asked him, what then art thou, Elias? He said, I'm, I am not some great prophet. He said, art thou a prophet? He answered, no. Look at verse 22. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That thou may be given an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? Look at verse 23. This is so interesting. He said, I am the voice, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Elias. And they were, and it says, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, why baptize thou uh, then, if if you be be not Christ nor Elijah, neither that prophet? And John answered him, saying, I baptize with water but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who cometh after me is referred before me whose shoes latchets I am not worthy to unloose. He said, I am not worthy to buckle his sandals. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. The man that was evaluated as the greatest man that was born of woman said, I'm not a prophet I'm not Jesus Christ. I am not even worthy to buckle his shoes. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. I can see the humility. I can feel the humility. And then his desire in John chapter 3, verse 29. Look at it. Here's John's desire. 3, and look at verse 29. You all with me on this? Amen. Thank you for being here. It says in verse 20, and those listening by way of internet, thank you for listening. It says in verse 29, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He said, I just want to hear him. I just want to introduce him. I'm just a voice. And then look at verse 30. Here is the whole key. The greatest man evaluated by God, or Jesus, he said this, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase that I might decrease. Folks, isn't that needed today? We always, we always get too important for our own self. This party's not about you. And it's not about me. This is all for the glory of God. That's why, my friend, I'm going to tell you something. Over the 46 years i pastored this church and the, no, the 42 years i pastored this church and 46 years of being in full-time ministry, I, fought, I have fought for the unity of a church They tried to run my preacher off, and I hid in a room right up to the business meeting and came into Claxton, Georgia, and I stood and gave a testimony that I worked with a man of God for two years named Paul Forsyth, and you better not touch him. And they all wanted to throw uh, uh, Vidalia onions at me uh, down in Claxton, Georgia. When When I showed up at the business meeting, because I wanted to go defend my preacher and stand for my preacher and stand for the unity of Gospel Baptist Temple. And I want to tell you something, friend. All um, uh, the devil wants to do is get in us and we, where we get so proud and so arrogant and so self-sufficient that we can't be used of God. Folks, I want to tell you something. I want to stay humble. Now, I'm not praying for humility because that's what Job did. But I want to tell you something. If this virus and all this stuff, all this violence in the streets has not humbled you, something's wrong with you. You've got, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, you've gotten the flesh if it hadn't humbled you. I'm going to tell you something. We need God more than we've ever needed God. We need revival more than we ever need revival. And you think it's bad in the United States? We're the best country in the world. And I, you can say, oh, no, you're just self-centered. No, I'm going to tell you something. We'll send all these missionaries. But if you go to other other countries, you'll find out how blessed we are. But, folks, the truth's falling in the street. There's violence. There's wickedness in high places. And I'm going to tell you something. The world's falling apart right before us. That's humbling. We need God. We need each other. We need the church more than ever before. And we need to stay in our place. And our place is humble. Our place is usable. Our place is moldable. Our place is, oh God, I can't make it without you. I can't pastor a church without you. I have no ministry without you. I'm going to tell you something, friend. If you're not careful, preachers, your your ministry is going to be more important than, than the one you're ministering for and somebody touches your ministry, you get all upset. But I'm gonna tell you something, friend, Jesus ought to be the center of your focus. And 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 listen, you might have to go out in the wilderness and cry as a voice in the wilderness, but I'm gonna tell you something, God Almighty is more important than what we're doing. We ought to seek him during this time. We ought to know him, we ought to draw close to God, and we ought to let him humble us during this time. Don't you shake your fist at God, because ultimately, God's allowed this. In any, way, any persuasion you got, if you're on the left or the right, middle, I don't care where you're at, I'm going to tell you something, God Almighty has allowed this. And if you don't think it is, that's an arrogant attitude that you think God has nothing to do with this. God has something to do with everything because He's a sovereign God. He's God Almighty. And He can do what He wants to. And He can allow what He wants to. And I want to tell you, when he does, we ought to fall on our face and say, Dear God, we need you. Dear God, it's, it's, um, it's your ministry and i take my hands off of it. Dear God, it's your life and i take my hands off of it. John the Baptist was great for three reasons, bottom line here. He was sent, he was spirit-filled. I won't go, I won't, I won't go back over there, Blaine, I'm sorry. Uh, he was sent, he was spirit-filled, and he was a servant. I'm going to say this. God can't use you if you're full of yourself. Say amen. I met some very arrogant, prideful preachers in my time. And they've, they've done nothing but split everything they've touched, including their family. Pride will devour you. Pride is subtle. And so I want to preach on Humility. I want to give you this saying, measure your life by the extent to which it is safe for God to bless you and answer your prayers. Measure your life by the extent to which it is safe for God to bless you and answer your prayers. It's not safe for him to answer somebody's prayer, some prayer, because it'll go straight to your head. And you don't want to put your numbers down of all that you're accomplishing and do all, do all, get, get prideful in all your accomplishments. I'm going to tell you something, friend. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have sense to get out of bed in the morning. Come on, say amen. I broke my heart the other day and I think one of the uh, sharpest individuals I've ever met is Brother Austin Gardner. They said he, he was not functioning. He couldn't think. After 21 years, or 21 days on a ventilator, uh, it goes to your brain, especially when there's bacteria. And it can damage your brain. Now think about the man of God that needs our prayers to to help him get through this. And I want to see him preach again. Somebody told me today, I saw saw my youngest son, first time in 30 days, which broke my heart that I couldn't see him because they have all been in quarantine down there. Over 40 members. And I want to say this, friend. When it hits home, it, it's personal. It's very personal. And I'll say this. He said, well, if they do that trait, Daddy, Stephen's speaking to me, that means he's a, there's a week more that he won't be able to preach because that throat's got to heal. And then he said, but you know some. I'm just praying he'll stay alive. Folks, listen. It's only by the grace of God you have the health that you have. It's only the grace of God that you can think. You know, some of us can't think too good. I can't think too good. I start, uh, when I turned 59 today, I, um, I thought, man, I'm losing my brain. I'm losing, I'm, I can't quote the scriptures like I used to. Young people, whatever you do, memorize scripture while you're young. Because when you get 59 plus 10, you can't memorize them like you used to. Say Amen. There ain't a person in this room older than me. You ought to thank God for your old preacher. Amen. I don't think there's a person in here. Brother Lamar, where are you when I need you? But anyway, you know, listen, folks, listen. Uh, Let me just say this. True Christly humility is attractive. That's the little print. Look at it. Beautiful and a tremendous Christian testimony. Christly humility is attractive. Prideful people you want to run from. You don't want to be around them because it's always me, myself, and I, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and it's always griping and complaining and grumbling. That's a sign of pride. But I want to tell you something. We ought to be the happiest people in the world. I'm happy. Now, next year when I turn 70, uh, it's going to be rough. Say amen right there, brother. I ain't going to tell them how old you are, Chris. But I want to tell you this, friend. God help us. We, we got to deal with it. Amen. We're not going to live forever. I'm passing off the scene. I'm a pilgrim passing through. Amen. I'm going to have to give up homemade ice cream before too long because I can't, I can't see my f- shoes. But I will say this. Thank God that we can stay humble, then we're attractive, and it's tremendous testimony that you do not think so much of yourself or your ministry, that you're indispensable. I've had to come to that point lately. I won't be here many more years. It breaks my heart. I love this more than anything. Brother Jake said, why don't you get Blaine to preach? And I said, because I don't want him to preach. I want to preach on my birthday. I think it's a great privilege to preach on your birthday. I'm glad I'm alive. Get Kevin to preach. He thought I couldn't make it today because we had free free activity today and kill ourselves. Well, I just took it easy. Amen. But I want to say this, friend. I want to close. I want you to measure humility four ways. Would you write this down? You measure humility, number one, by a sense of unworthiness of God's goodness and grace. You sense your unworthiness of God's goodness and grace. Write it down. Listen to me. You ought to thank God for all his blessings, but you don't earn any of them and you don't deserve any of them. It's all God's goodness. Say it right there. It's God's goodness. You ought to be constantly amazed that God is good and gracious to you. Number two, you ought to, you ought to every time God blesses you, you ought to respond with gratefulness. That's humility. Number three, you ought to, a person that's humble is constantly aware of how indebted he is to God. A spiritually humble person is constantly aware of how indebted he is to God. You know what a humble person is? He never gets over being saved. Where would you be if God hadn't saved you? You'd be a mess. You'd be, you'd be on death row to hell. You wouldn't be usable for anything. Your marriage would not be intact. Your kids would be bringing disgrace to your name if you weren't saved. I mean, it's hard enough as it is to be saved, but what if you were was not saved? Folks, you measure your humility. Humility. Humidity. I've measured that today. Your humility. <laughs> By a sense of unworthiness of God's goodness and grace. You just sense it. You're not worthy. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. I'm not worthy to tie a shoe. Greatest man that ever walked this earth. Number two, you measure humility by the sense of dependence upon God. Your sense of dependence upon God. Turn to John 15 one of my favorite chapters. He's about to go to Calvary and he's going to teach this great principle. i got to hurry to his disciples. Here it is, John 15, 5. He said this, I am the vine, ye are the branches. I am the vine, ye are the branches. What's that mean? You need the vine. And you're not the vine. You're not the source of strength. You're not the source of strength of wisdom you're not the source at all you're just a branch crying in the wilderness praising god praising god for his sufficiency the world will try to deceive and convince you that you can depend on yourself this is a selfish generation that the devil is trying to raise up me myself and i i've got it together and i don't even need church I don't need God. I don't need any Holy Spirit. I just need to get more educated, more wise, and folks, that is humanism, and that's idolatry of Iism. It's idolatry. Your own wisdom, your own experience, your own ability is not enough. Adam and Eve found out we're not enough. The mo- the most the more godly you become, the more gladly, completely, and constantly you'll rely on God. Let me re- repeat that C on the loud line. The more godly you become, the more gladly, completely, and constantly you'll rely on God. And then last but not least, Christ is the source. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 says He's the source of all wisdom. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 24 says he uses the simple things to confound the wise. He uses the weak to confound the strong. John 15, 5 says, you're just a branch. And don't ever think you're the tree and you're the source of it. Folks, you need the vine. Without the vine, you're just a withering, dead limb. And the Bible says in Philippians 1, 21, to live is Christ, to live is Christ. And so our sufficiency is of God. And folks, a humble person has total sense of dependence upon God. A prideful person says, I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to have home devotion. I don't need godly music. I can listen to the world's music. I can get as close to the world as I want to. I can look like the world. I can lust to the flesh. and..." And then I can lust to the eyes and then I can have the pride of life in my life. And folks, that's arrogance towards God who says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Jesus said, I am the vine. And you need to know who you are. You're just a branch. And look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 real quick, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll try to sum this up. I want you to look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I believe it's uh, verse 5 and 6. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. What a pro- proclamation. Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Did you hear that? Your wisdom killeth. Your manuscripts kill it. Your thoughts kill it. But, folks, His Spirit brings life. We are totally insufficient without the sufficiency of God. There is no limit to what God can do for you and through you. As a person, as long as that person does not touch God's glory. I've tried to do one thing, is never touch God's glory as a preacher. Number one, I think God could kill me on the spot. He did in the Old Testament. He probably could do it in the New too. Matter of fact, he did in Acts chapter 5. But I want to tell you something, friend. There's no limit to what God can do if you're not concerned about you getting credit but that God gets all the credit and all the glory. Measure your humility by your total reliance on God. We can't depend on our experience. We can't depend on the past. We must humble ourselves in total dependence on His guidance, on His anointing, on His power. Measure your life by your sense of your own nothingness. Measure your life in the sense of your own nothingness. In other words, folks, we need to realize that we need to give God all the glory. So third of all, we measure, third, we measure our humility by giving all the glory to God. All the glory. He is sufficient. John said, there's no greater. He is the light. He is the bridegroom. I'm not. I'm not even a prophet. No, he said, no, don't put that title on me. I am nothing but a voice crying in the wilderness. i never performed a miracle. And God says, that's the greatest man that ever war- born of women. Measure your humility by giving all the glory to God. He deserves it. And folks, you measure your, your uh, you praise and instantly pass it on. When somebody praises you, you ought to learn to def- deflect praise. Somebody comes to you and praises you, you ought to deflect praise to someone else or to God who deserves it all. Instead of trying to p- pat yourself on the back, you ought to realize that, folks, we need to handle praise and pass it on to Jesus. Amen. It's called deflecting praise. Man, if anybody praises you, you ought to say, well, thank God i got a good wife. She's put up with a lot. Deflect the praise. But ultimately, don't give it all to praise to your wife. Give it to God because if it wasn't for God, where would you be? And what would you be living like? It would be pitiful, wouldn't it? B, you're eager to decrease so that God, Christ, can increase. You're willing for others to receive prominence even when you did all the work. And only the humble can walk close to God. Drawn out of God, he'll drawn out of you. Humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Oh, folks, listen. D.L. Moody one time said this, in the beginning of greatness is to be little. To increase of greatness is to be less. And the perfection of greatness is to be Nothing third grade education, he shook two continents. He said the beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less. And the perfection of greatness now is to be nothing. Moses pointed out that God tests and proves and humbles us. Look at it later. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. Write that down. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Most people are found to be hungry for the praise of others instead of being hungry for God to be praised. Measure your humility by your hunger for Jesus to get all the glory. And then last but not least, we see fourthly, Brother Blaine, you measure your humility by your inward response in the face of insult. See, you're really what you are when things are going bad. So boy, this has really been a proving ground, hasn't it? I want to tell you something, we're all like tea bags. Uh, When it gets hot, it, it, it depicts what's really inside. Character comes to the surface when things get bad. When things are not going our way. There ain't nothing going our way lately, it seems like. Inner peace when you're persecuted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, but blessed are they that are persecuted for his name's sake such is the kingdom of God. What a beatitude. We measure the depths of our humility by our consistent meekness, gentleness. When people ignore us, when people take advantage of us, and when people attack you, that's where true humility comes out. Because see, it's really not about you, it's about who you represent. Because you're not important enough to be attacked. It's Jesus is being attacked. Abe Lincoln, one of my heroes, that's why I don't think you should ever touch his monument. Amen? I really don't think you ought to be removing Confederate monuments from the downtown Dalton area either. Praise God, let me just wave that right here for a second. It's ridiculous. They're going to take off Whitfield County off our county because it was named after a preacher, I guess. Ridiculous. Our history's precious. But one of the cabinet members was named Edwin Stanton. And he called Abraham Lincoln publicly. He is a fool. And Stanton was brilliant, stubborn at times. He was even disrespectful. And Lincoln humbly replied, Well, if Stanton said that I'm a fool, I guess I must be. For Stanton is a wise man. He is nearly always right in his decisions. So I guess I'm a fool. After he was shot, assassined, Stanton wept by his casket and said, I believe I've been in the midst of one of the strongest and greatest men on earth, and I took him for granted. See, Abe didn't win him by striking back or getting mad at him because he called him a fool. He just said, hey, listen, He's a wise man. Maybe I am foolish. Number, f- number five, real quick, I got, we got to go. And I thank God for you mamas that wrestle uh, live Atlanta, Dalton, wrestling every service because we ain't got that nursery. God bless you. So i try to keep it brief. Old David Smallwood used to come here and he used to preach two-hour messages. And I said, son, I'm going to tell you something. When you get three kids, those two-hour messages will go down the drain. Because I'm gonna tell you why. Your wife's gonna kill you on the way home. Sure enough, when he had two kids, those two hour messages, down to 45 minutes. <laughs> Amen. So, anyway, humble. Amen. Just you know, humble yourself. Measure your life by your joy in doing things and being anything for God and others. Last but not least, you need to measure your life by the joy in doing anything and being anything. Or God and others. Anything. You ought to be a servant. Servants don't pick their service. They just adhere to the king of kings. We honor others. Romans chapter 10 verse 12 says we ought to honor others. That will be your life's goal to honor people. Most attractive person is one that knows how to honor people. Thank you, Brother Alex. I'm glad you were recruited to honor me tonight. That was good. But you ought to, we ought to want to honor people. I want to honor you, and I do honor you. It's been a wonderful congregation during this time. It hadn't been easy. I've been caught in the, uh, the proverbial cross shot, crosshairs uh, of it. But I'm not complaining. I'd rather be a pastor than anything I know. We ought to consider others. And folks, I want to tell you something. We ought to live to minister and help others. We ought, to, we ought to desire to be a servant. That's why it's such a high calling to be a deacon. That ought to be your desire to serve others, to be a servant, to help the preacher study and pray while you serve tables. That's scripture. I didn't make it up. I'm not designing the office. I'm not writing the job definition. Let me close with saying this. You measure your lack of humility, uh, humility by the desire for position and praise. You measure your lack of humility when you have constantly compared yourself with others. You just do it all the time. I'm better than the mass murder. Well, congratulations. Um, You show your lack of humility and your pride when you're critical of others. And you show your lack of humility when you gossip about others. I want to close with these two sayings, brother. There's no limit to what God can do for and through a person as long as that person does not touch God's glory. There's no limit because it's the Holy Spirit flowing through your life. And then one other one. The deeper your humility, all things being equal, the more God can use you. The deeper your humility, other things being equal, that means yielded to God, not in sin, the more God can use you. And I don't know about you, but I want to be an instrument of revival, don't you? I don't want to be an instrument of depression. I don't want to be an instrument of division. I want to be an instrument of revival. I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14. Y'all know the verse, but I want you to underline one word in it, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. y'all ready to read it with me? Let's read it together second chronicles 714 if my people which are called by my name shall what humble shall humble themselves and pray, See, nobody that's not humble will pray because you don't need to pray. Then it says this, and seek my face. Not let people seek your face. Your face. Look at this. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Folks, we need a healing. We need a healing. But you know, behind every problem, there's politics. Because everybody's going to get on sides, and everybody's going to get this side and that side. I Hope you voted yesterday. And if you didn't, you keep your mouth shut when you start complaining about our leaders. You ought to vote. You have no right to complain about our leaders if you don't vote. That's a God given. Miss Emily was so excited that she got to vote for the first time in America. She didn't know who she was voting for, but she voted. Amen. But I want to say this I want to say it very, very kindly. Behind every problem is a spiritual problem. Because I want to tell you something God wants you to use every problem to get you away from God. He wants you to use every blessing. The devil wants to get every blessing so you can take credit for it. And you're way away from God if you're taking credit for your blessings. But I want to tell you something, behind everything is politics. Behind everything is a spiritual battle. And you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid we're going to lose the spiritual battle more than I am political battle. I think we we're going to lose the spiritual battle more than I think we we're going to lose the health battle even. And I can't wait to go down there and talk to Brother Austin. See what he went through in these 21 days. And I hope I have the privilege to do that. But I want to tell you something, friend. There's a lot of churches that will never open up again. I'm kind of upset that my barber's never going to open up again. He retired. I've been getting free haircuts for 20 years. Now my wife's going to have to learn how to cut hair. That's, tr- that's, that's dangerous. But I only need a haircut every six months, so I'm not worried about it. But I want to tell you something more important than a barber shop closing. There's churches closing. Why do you think I've been so careful and going through all this junk? Because I don't want to close the church. And It won't be the governor closing it. It'll be health department. But folks, I want to tell you something. What concerns me most is this thing could divide all of us. It could it could cause us to lose confidence in the leadership. And it cause this church never be the same, brother. Alex, just like you testified. If we get in the flesh, if we get all aggravated with everything, and we don't humble ourselves and say, Dear God, I'm gonna seek your face. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna turn from my wicked ways. And I want you to I want you to hear from heaven and heal our land. Father, this has been a very difficult subject. It's been a very convicting subject. I'm not backing down from the subject because I'm going to tell you something. I need a happy and holy humility in my life. I need a happy and holy humility in my life. I don't want a position. I don't want a reputation. I don't want accolades and praise from everybody. I just want your approval to be a man of God and a servant of God until you call me home. God, please, please help me not to get bitter. And God, help me, please, not to get self-sufficient and think that I'm doing anything without you. And so, Lord, I'm not going to let anything or anyone get between me and God during this time. I'm just going to humble myself in the place of prayer and say, Dear God, I can't even figure this stuff out. I don't know which, which enemy's coming from which way, but I know that you're greater than all of them and that I love you and that you've called me to preach. you called me to be a minister. you called me to be a servant. And Lord, I pray, dear God, that we'd stay at the foot of the cross in humility. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this has not been just a little Bible study. This has been exhortation for us to decrease. To decrease. It's not about us, it's about God. And I believe if we really got out of the way, God would do so much through our church that it would astound us for His glory. So maybe some of you need to slip down to the altar this morning or tonight and give your ministry to God. Give your life to God, give yourself to God more fully and decrease that he might increase. And you'll never be more usable. You'll never be more happy. That's not the goal. But you'll never be more usable. And you'll never be more powerful in the ministry than when you humble yourself before God. One's come to the altar and bend a knee. How about you? Let's stand quietly to our feet. Lord, use this message. In Jesus' name.